We're going to turn to John chapter 20, uh, and while you're finding John chapter 20, we're going to make sure that you can hear me okay, and that we're not booming all over the place. Uh, But in a moment, I'm going to read from John chapter 20, uh, as we continue our journey through John's gospel. Picking up where we left off, uh, where Chris took us last time. Jesus has died on the cross. Jesus has been buried in Joseph's tomb. And here we are in John chapter 20. Okay, so I'm going to read the whole of the chapter. So John 20 and verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We come to the resurrection. This changes everything. A little while ago, me and Nikki were watching, watched a, 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 I think a BBC series, which followed the life of a woman, or should I say the lives of a woman. She, uh, every time she died, she started again. And she kept living this life over and over again. And what you came to see through this program was the little ways, the little moments suddenly changed everything. That she came to a point and actually, if it wasn't for this, well, that's where I died last time. And now my life has opened up. You come to another point and something happens and actually her life spirals down a particular path. Whereas the next time, just one moment, and it all changes. Maybe quite a common theme in TV and film. I could take you to, of course, the epic 1980s classic series, Back to the Future. Now, of course, that involves time travel as well. But nevertheless, Marty McFly goes back into the past. And in one moment, he's changed everything. His mum and dad aren't even getting together anymore. And he's about to disappear from history. Then later on, we have another moment where everything changes again because his dad finally stands up to the bully. And everything changes in the slightly bizarre way that everything changes in Back to the Future, in the fact that their whole life's changed, but they're still in the same house in this neighbourhood, that, that was the... Anyway, all of that. Everything changes. Well, may I suggest that rather than those trivial or fantastical examples, this is a true moment where everything changes. The resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb that is found, is a moment where everything in history changes. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, speaks to us of the utter vital importance of the resurrection. 
He's talking to the Corinthians. Like some people might be preaching to you, well, oh, resurrection from the dead. Can we really believe that? Well, Paul tells them this. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he didn't raise him if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. This is vital. This is the moment that changes everything. Jesus is alive. As we come today, I invite you to open your eyes and see the risen Saviour. He is alive. We also have to account for all the encounters, like those we see here. We've seen the Lord. We've seen him. We've seen him. Mary, at the tomb. I've seen the Lord. The disciples in that room. He came and stood amongst us. Thomas, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers, I see, what, see his hands and I can put my finger in his side. My Lord and my God. And as Paul reports again in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, that's not all. Yeah, Mary saw it. Yeah, Peter and John and the other, other 11, they saw it. Well, what does Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 4? He tells us that he, Jesus, was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, Paul, also, as to one abnormally born. All these people who saw him. Yeah, but they must have been mistaken. There must have been some kind of mass hallucination. All of them. All of them. Oh, well, okay, maybe not mass hallucination. Maybe he didn't really die. But then how do you explain that the most efficient killing machine of history, the Romans, didn't manage to carry out an execution and release the body of a man who apparently was still alive to Joseph and Nicodemus? And actually, even if he didn't really die, well, let's just start back at the beginning. How did he get out of the tomb? The Roman guard, the stone, all of this. You see, the point that we see... Oh no, one more thing. Then you get, well, okay, it was the disciples then. They made it all up to pretend he'd risen from the dead. Oh, you could understand their motive, maybe. And again, notwithstanding all the problems above about managing to steal the body past the Roman guards, past the stone, leaving the grave close behind, all that jazz, which they still have had to do, but even to the smallest 
most insignificant details, none of that adds up. Tim Keller points out, if they were making up a story in first century Palestine, the idea of Mary Magdalene, or in fact any woman in that day and age, being the first to report and be believed about, the, the, about Jesus being risen from the dead. Women who, unfortunately at the time, were not even believed as, or trusted as witnesses. is beyond unlikely. Tim Keller says uh, in a particular preach, the only reason to include the women at that time in that culture is that, that, is that they were actually there. You wouldn't have included them if you were making it up. And you could go on to all sorts of other things. Every little detail, it doesn't make sense. And beyond that, these men and women would go on to spread this message and it would explode across the world. And the argument that would be made is that they're doing that on the basis of a lie that they made up. To the point of going to their death for it. John saw the evidence and he believed. He is risen. You see, here in John and throughout scripture and actually throughout all the evidence that we can find anywhere, declares it. It's not a stolen body. There's not some other crazy explanation. No other explanation fits. He is alive. The Son of God truly rose from the dead. Jesus is the Son of God who is risen. So I ask us, as we see here and elsewhere, let's observe the evidence and understand Jesus truly rose from the dead. Okay, and in doing that, secondly, let's recognise who he really is. As we move on through the passage, we see that John says he sees and believes. Luke will report to us that Peter goes away pondering what he has seen. Mary, whether she returned with, the, with Peter and John or maybe she's come along behind them or come, come back a bit later on, she's left crying at the tomb. Confused, distraught, still looking for an answer to her question. They've taken the, him away. Where is he? And we see it here. Mary stood outside the tomb crying, verse 11. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked a the woman, what, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And she goes on to think he was the gardener. Why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Well, at that moment, who is it that Mary is looking for? Mary's looking for a dead Jesus. Mary's looking for her rabbi who has been killed, her 
the body of her, her master who she's followed so that she can respect him in his death. She's looking for a dead Jesus. The rabbi that she knew, ultimately too small a Jesus. A Jesus who she's not going to find. Where have you taken him? Where have they taken him? Well, they, whoever they is, haven't taken him anywhere. Mary's looking at that moment for two smaller Jesus and she's about to be confronted with the real Jesus. I'll ask us, who are you looking for? Right here today, do you see who he really is and what it really means? Because you know, so often and so easily, Jesus can become for us like a little add-on to make life a bit better. Someone who I can occasionally talk to and ask to sort out some problems for me. A good teacher who I can see says some decent stuff, some wise and comforting things that will help me in troubling times. Lovely, but that's not Jesus. Mary is about to come face to face with the risen Saviour. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. And in this instance, instant, she recognises him. It's so wonderfully personal. Jesus speaks her name to reveal to her it's me. I'm here. It's Jesus. He speaks her name. He knows you by name. He is the good shepherd, the one who knows his sheep and his sheep know him. But we see in this moment, Mary comes face to face with the real Jesus, the son of God, the word became flesh, the one who can later declare to John in Revelation chapter 1. As John goes on to see in John's vision in Revelation 1, John says this in verse, chapter 1 verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet and though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is Jesus. This is the real Jesus. The one who went to the cross now he's alive forever. My question to us today is, do we have a big enough view of Jesus? You see, Mary's eyes are lifted in this moment. Not just a good teacher, not just one who is, he has changed my life. If we read back in Mary's story, he's cast demons out of her. He's set her free, but not just a good teacher, a miracle worker who's now dead, a martyr for his cause. No, he is the risen king, the risen saviour. 
Do we recognize how big, how great he is and understand how much we need him? You see, later as he appears on these two occasions to the disciples, he appears and proclaims, peace be with you. Yes, peace, don't be afraid, it's okay, but more, this is, this is who Jesus is. He is our peace. He has made peace for us with God through the cross. This is Jesus. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 and verse 15, Paul's incredible description of who Jesus is. The Son is the image of the invisible gods, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do we recognise him and understand that he is everything we need. He is our only hope. The only hope for lost, dead sinners like us. You see, just, just now we were singing, there's nothing better than you. Oh, how true. How wonderfully true, and yet we could twist those words. Yeah, there's nothing better than you. I would say... There's no better way to have coffee than to grind the beans yourself and make it. There's nothing better than that. You can have instant coffee, you can have pre-ground coffee, and you could, but you could, to be fair, people can go a lot further than me. You've got to weigh it out exactly right. It's got to be only the right beat. Anyway, any, all of that. But Jesus isn't... It's not that there's nothing better than Jesus in that way. I would say, though, that coffee is the best. Some people might say, well, actually, I quite like instant coffee. Actually, I can drink a cup of instant coffee and quite like it. You see, all of those are acceptable coffee. Some people might argue that point. Please don't at the moment. You see, this is a classic, classic middle-class discussion point on what's the best coffee. Anyway, I'll keep going. But you recognise, I would say there's nothing better than this, but they're all acceptable. They're all different options. They're all things that you could go for and they're all still coffee. Jesus is the one and the only. Jesus is not just ranked up above, oh, well, Jesus, and then there might be someone else, or then, then there's me, and then there's something else. No, Jesus is. There is nothing better than him because no one else compares. He's the only risen king and saviour. He is everything we need. The only hope for us. Do we recognise how big he is and how much we need him? 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As John Newton wrote in that incredible old hymn, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. What grace do we see here? Even as Jesus calls Mary's name, I was blind, but now I see. Mary's eyes are opened some more here. John Newton's eyes were opened as he came face to face with, with this Jesus turning away from everything before. That former slave trader would turn and come and declare those majestic words. Amazing grace, how sweet a sound that saved a wretch like me. So I call us today, like Mary, let us recognise who he really is. Maybe for the first time, this is Jesus. He is the risen saviour. And you need him. Whoever you are, you need him. And for those of us who already know him, who have already surrendered to him, let's have our eyes lifted again to see how big, how great he really is. And how much we need him. Observe the evidence. Recognise who he really is. And let us believe and follow him. You see, as John goes on, he records the fact that Jesus appears to his disciples twice. He comes and stands in their presence. Say, look and see, it really is me. It's not a ghost amongst you. Look, come, touch me, come, understand I am here, risen from the dead and right here amongst you. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm here. It's me. In verse 19, he comes and stands among them, says, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, I'll ask us, are we overjoyed? Are we in awe, delighted in this risen saviour? This is who he is. Is this our all-consuming thought? I know the king who rose from the dead and this changes everything. And we see Thomas. He wasn't there the first time. We don't know why not, but he missed it. Jesus turns up amongst them and Thomas isn't there. Now, of course, Thomas could have had a very legitimate reason. Maybe he was the one who was designated, I, I've got to go and get food for everyone. I've got to do something. We don't know. But he missed it and Jesus came. And just as an aside, just felt to encourage us, Hebrews 11 not Hebrews 11, Hebrews 10 and verse 25. Hebrews 10 and verse 25, the writer to the Hebrews encourages us. And verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't give up meeting together. Don't give up encouraging one another. Don't give up coming together like this. 
praising the name of Jesus, hearing from one another, encouraging one another. Here on a Sunday morning at, at prayer meetings, at, at our hub gatherings and our small groups, even when we just meet one another on the street. What a time to come together. Not just another meeting, well, I suppose I need to go, don't I? I see what this really is, an opportunity to be together and to meet with the living God. We don't know why, but Thomas missed the first one. And we hear him, we hear Thomas, unless I see the nail marks and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. And again, isn't this a common cry? The kind of thing that we can hear while seeing is believing people can raise the same objection today perhaps ending up sounding like the pharisees of jesus's time give us a sign show yourself to if god would only show himself to me if god would only show up and do something spectacular well then i believe then i believe in him if god would show himself somehow then i'd believe Maybe you come here today with, with that thought in your mind. In fact, so much of this passage talks about seeing. We've read John saw and believed. Mary's cry of joy is, I have seen the Lord. The disciples together, they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And perhaps we could together fall into the trap of saying, oh, if only we had been there ourselves and seen it with our own eyes. Wouldn't that be so much better? But then we hear Jesus' reply to Thomas. Verse 29. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do we see this? We who believe are blessed. Peter picks up this theme in 1 Peter chapter 1. As he writes to those he's encouraging. 1 Peter 1 and verse 8. Though you have not seen him. You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's believe him. Let's trust him. Let's come to him. You see what follows that verse talking to Thomas is, is John's purpose statement. Those wonderful words that we have drawn on so often, which so help us. Tells us that Jesus performed many other signs uh, which aren't recorded here. But then what does he say? These are recorded that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is written. These have been written. This has been given to us that we may believe, that we may see him. 
We see something that John alludes to in verses 8 and 9. He saw and believed, but then, as we get in brackets, in, certainly in the NIV, they still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. You know, we, as we stand here in the 21st century, blessed in one massive way. We've got this, all of this. All of this truth written down, as John says, these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that you may have life in his name. We're blessed that we have the Bible. So maybe you are here today thinking that, well, if God would only show himself to me, maybe you'd show up in some massive miracle or, or writing in the sky or whatever else it may be. Well, in one sense, it's not a terrible request. God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. I'm seeking, I want to know you. It's a good request. But at the same time, know this. He has revealed himself. Jesus did come. Jesus did die. Jesus did rise from the dead. God has revealed himself over and over and again through his creation. As Paul also goes on to say in Romans 1 and verse 20, we won't look there right now. And ultimately, all throughout the pages of his words. Here he is, here he is, here he is. See him and believe. So I encourage you today, hear this, read this, get into this, and see and know the risen Saviour. See him, Jesus. Son of God, risen from the dead, who died to pay the price that we could never pay. The price that all of us owe. All of us fall short of the glory of God and yet he has done it and he has revealed himself to us. Believe him and follow. Marvel at it. Delight in it. Rejoice in him and follow him because that's what Jesus calls them to. He reveals himself. He says, this is what I've done. I've brought you peace. I've brought you peace with God. Now I'm sending you. Go. Verse 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. And tells them, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So my encouragement to all of us today, see him. Know him. Submit to him. Surrender to him. Come and repent. Know him as your Lord and Saviour. And then we have a glorious life and mission to live. Go into all the world in the power of the Holy Spirit and take this message of forgiveness, this message of repentance, this message that you can know the Son of God who rose from the dead and who died for you.